that from time to time, and uh, especially when you pastor. <laughs> All right. Um, last week, Pastor talked about the pursuit, and uh, we're talking about it again tonight. Uh, basically, God's persistence, God's faithfulness, and repentance. And so, uh, the main idea tonight is God's love for the lost individual is unrelenting and persistent. And so uh, last week we looked at Jesus pursuing the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15. And uh, this section of 15, 1 through, 1 through 32, defends and commends preoccupation with the lost and the overflowing of joy at their restoration. We all respond this way uh, with what's in our own and this attitude corresponds to the concerns of a father's heart for his own children, each one of whom are singularly precious in his sight. We are all precious in God's sight. Maybe for different reasons, but we're all precious in his sight. And uh, maybe he has to put up with a lot from some of us, but we're still precious in his sight. And uh, we, we sometimes think that, that he uh, is so far off. How could he really care? How would he really... what? You know, why would we really matter to him? And then you just have to remember he died for us. He died for us. And so uh, these three parables here in Luke 15 uh, uh, taught the religious leaders that a sinner's return to God should be a cause for rejoicing rather than grumbling. <laughs> uh, we'll see here in a minute when we read verse 7, uh, the religious people grumbled, murmured whenever uh, Jesus was helping out here. Uh, one writer, writer uh, titled these parables The Searching Shepherd, The Searching Woman, and The Seeking Father. Uh, next week will be on The uh, Seeking Father. We know it as the prodigal son. And so shepherds, unmarried maidens, and rebellious sons were all examples of those who had been disenfranchised uh, people who were usually excluded from the religious groups in Jesus' day. Now, if you were in one of those groups, uh, you weren't really welcome. <laughs> you weren't even permitted to come in. And so uh, by seeing this, uh, we, we realized that that's the way it was in that day, but we realized from these verses, he doesn't want that to continue on today. Now, the first parable of the lost sheep, uh, we studied last week, emphasized the lost condition, the condition you're in if you're lost. You're lost, you're away from others, and uh, for us that would be away from God's house, his body. This week we look at the second, the search. Next week will be the third, restoration. Jesus used the same point in three parables. Shows the importance of the lesson he wanted his hearers to learn. Each one of these have a significance, but all of them have the same point is God values that which is lost, and he pursues after it. He goes after it. He makes sure that, that we all have that opportunity. And uh, I, I feel sorry for some people because they always want to know what about the people that don't hear the gospel. And I just try to remind them, Jesus died so you could hear the gospel. So do you really think anybody is not going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel? You say, but maybe they don't know about baptism in Jesus' name. You've got to accept what you know before you can go any further. God only reveals to you after you receive what he has already revealed to you. 
the problem with so many people is after they get to the first step or the second or third or whatever, they stop. Okay, God, that's enough. I got it. I'm good from here. And so uh, that's, that's not what he's interested in. And so we realize that we have to be what God wants us to be, and we can't stay the way we are if we really want to please him. So again, Jesus' concern for women comes out in this illustration uh, with which his female listeners could identify. In the previous parable, a relatively rich man lost one of his sheep. Whereas in this one this week with the lady, uh, one relatively poor lady lost one of her coins. Silver coins in view would have been a Greek uh, drachma or the equivalent of a Roman denarii, which is about worth one day's wages. One day's wages. What would you do if you lost one day's wages? You know, say your daily wage is $100. How long would you look for it? <laughs> what would you do uh, if you lost $100? Uh, they may have been part of her dowry or her savings. Uh, some of the women wore around their uh, heads and on a chain. Um, you know how it is. How, have you ever lost anything? It's crazy. This, this week I woke up one day thinking that I'd lost my driver's license. And I was at the Canadian border and they wouldn't let me back in because I didn't have my driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> and I don't know that. I, I usually don't even remember my dreams, but for some reason I remember that one. And guess what? I got up and looked at my wallet. Make sure I still have my driver's license in there. Uh, I, I really haven't lost very many things, so I can't identify too much with this. One time, I, again, I thought I lost my driver's license, but they were in a coat pocket that I'd forgot that I'd show at the airport and stuck it in the pocket instead of back in my billfold. But, uh, yeah, we've, uh, there's times that some things have been lost, and uh, we don't just let it go. It bugs us. <laughs> Got a call the other day from uh, an unnamed grandson who had lost something. <laughs> and that's not the one that's here. <laughs> I had to take him to work because he couldn't find his wallet, which means he didn't have his driver's license. And <laughs> we didn't want him to drive without those. So, uh, But he kept searching. He finally found it later on. And uh, the funny thing about when you lose something, it's always right where you left it. <laughs> you just can't remember where that is. <laughs> I know, you know, and, and we do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, did you ever go back through your day to try to find something? Okay, I started out over here, I went here, and then, then I did this, and we go in all those places. And ultimately, at the end of the day, when we finally find it, we remember, oh, yeah, I didn't go there. <laughs> we forgot that we'd gone there, so we didn't find what we were looking for. But uh, too many times we, we you know, I, unless it's something very small, we, we will continue to look for something if it's lost because it has a value to us. Uh, some more than others, but it has value. And so in uh, Luke chapter 15 and uh, beginning at verse 8, our text for tonight, either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. The woman's recovery 
of what was, had been lost led to great joy and rejoicing. And again, she had ten. She lost one. The, of course, the first thing that pops in my mind is that would have been her ties. She didn't want to lose her ties. <laughs> she lost a tenth of it. And uh, it says that she, uh, you know, they didn't have very many windows in their house, so she had to light a candle to look for it. And then uh, I think she was sweeping in order to try to find it, but she might have just got distracted and started cleaning. I don't know. But uh, she was doing everything she could to find that lost coin. It was important to her. And uh, I know that, that uh, we think sometimes things are important to us, but how much more important are we to God than the things that we lose? And when she finds it, she wants to have a party. <laughs> Everybody come over, rejoice with me. I found it, I found it. And uh, it's just, there's just something about that feeling of when you find something that you, you, you had lost, when you get it back, that you are thankful and that makes you happy. And so it shouldn't surprise us whenever it tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice uh, when one sinner repenteth. And I've often said, you know, if, if the angels have a party when somebody repents, what do they do when you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost? Uh, they must have a long party. <laughs> and so uh, this parable repeated the same point as the previous one, namely uh, that there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. However, it also stresses the fact that God willingly goes to great lengths to seek out and to find the lost. Jesus will pursue you and anyone who's lost. Too many times people don't realize it, but God's pursuing them. He's after them. Perhaps Jesus here intended to uh, focus on the Jews in the first parable since it was talking about uh, the, the house and since he compared the lost, one lost sweet sheep from the master's fold, which would have been Israel. The second parable here that we're talking about may compare the lost coin to a Gentile since it was a Gentile or Greek coin that was lost. And so um, God actually searches for lost sinners all the way from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves for the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? God was pursuing Adam at this point. He knew where he was, but he had that question so that Adam would realize where he was. <laughs> He was away from the presence of God. He was away from the place that God had placed him. He was away from the blessings that God had given him. And he's trying to remind him, remember where you came from. And again, yes, they had to bear the consequences of their sin, but that does not mean God did not want them to still be his. He still wanted them to have communication with him and be uh, walk with him. They, they, he still was interested in that for them, regardless of what they had done. And so I, this is one of the verses that I think of. Somebody says, well, you don't know how bad I've sinned. You don't know what I've done. You know, to me, we all have better excuses than Adam and Eve had. <laughs> think about it. At this point, they had no kids, no in-laws, <laughs> no bosses, no children. <laughs> and so all the things that we struggle with from time to time, in our lives and different, they didn't have any of that. They were living in paradise. 
They didn't have to go to work. None of those things, and they still blew it. <laughs> so if God can forgive them and go looking for them, how much more is he going to go looking for us? How much more is he going to want to know where we are and what we are doing? Because he wants to be in communion with us. And so uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, But the Son of Man is coming to seek and to save that which was lost. There's no mystery why Jesus Christ came. While he was here on earth, he was seeking to save that which was lost. And he went to the cross so that they could be saved. And John 4, 4 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Because the woman at the well was lost. And he needed to find her. So he pursued her. And it was not in a likely place. The Jews usually went all the way around Samaria. They didn't even walk through it, let alone go through and stop in the middle someplace and talk to a, a Samaritan woman at the well. But it says he must needs. He knew where the hungry heart was. He knew exactly where she was. And so that's where he went. He went and he pursued her. Why did Jesus need to pass through Jericho in Luke chapter 19? To pursue Zacchaeus. Luke 19.5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, uh, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest of a man that is a sinner. See, the religious folks were murmuring just because Jesus went to a lost person's house. <laughs> And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. You know what that was? Those were deeds that showed his repentance. Uh, verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And again, sometimes people think that because of Jesus going to his house, uh, that he was saved just because Jesus showed up. But Jesus said, this day of salvation come to this house. Because Jesus had walked in the door. He's our salvation. He's what it's all about. It wasn't really anything, the things that Zacchaeus did, he did because he wanted to uh, restore the things that he had done wrong. He wanted to correct some of the things that he had done wrong. And so he, he was truly repentant and turning around away from his sin, so he was giving back. He had taken, and so now he was giving back. And so uh, in this here, uh, we, we realize that Zacchaeus, he wasn't, the, he wasn't where normally would Jesus go, but he went that direction, knowing who was going to be there. He knew before he got there because he was looking for him. He knew that Zacchaeus had a hungry heart. He knew that he wanted something from him, and so he went to where he was. And, and that's why I say if, if anybody is seeking after the Lord in any way, regardless of how much they know, if there's any chance that they have any open heart towards God, he's going to make a way. He's going to send somebody out of their way out of their comfort zone, wherever it is, he's going to send them to reach out to that person because they were lost, and now they are able to be found. He's able to come to them. And so uh, 
you know, we, we uh, look at this and sometimes we don't think about how, uh, how all this affects us. But I know God pursued me. Uh, most of you know my story. I don't know if we have any new ones here tonight. Maybe those online haven't heard my story yet. Uh, <clears throat> parents came to church at the age of five. My senior year in high school at 17, I'd, never, I'd been baptized in Jesus' name but not filled with the Holy Ghost. But um, <clears throat> I started really not living for the Lord from the time I was 17 till after I got married at 18. And <clears throat> for all of you young people, I was 17, living at home, had a full-time job, and I still had to go to church once a week because I was living in the house. And it didn't make me not want to go to church after I got older. It didn't hold me back from coming back to church because I did what my parents asked me to do. And when you put uh, God first, as they did, you have a great example. And so you may think, 15, 16, 17, that you, you know, and you know better than your parents, but you don't. And if you don't respect them and honor them, you're not going to go to the places you want to go. You know, you, you, you may think you know, but you don't. <laughs> uh, it's said that the young man uh, had a lot of questions, but had a lot of answers. And then uh, as he grew older, and this happens with almost everybody, as you grow older, you, you realize how smart your parents really were. <laughs> you don't really want to accept it because you want to be independent. But you know what? They really do. There's a reason God gave you parents. <laughs> it's a lot easier when you have parents. Just ask somebody who doesn't have anybody. It's, it's so much harder. And so I wasn't living for God for four or five years there. During that time, God didn't stop pursuing me. <laughs> he always knew when to put somebody in the store that I went into from church to come up to me and say, praise the Lord in the middle of the aisle at Walmart. I go pick up my pizza, they come in the door, praise the Lord. Yep, I just kept running into them every place that I went. And uh, then, you know, you would think that, you know, you kind of expect that from the church people, right? But we had some other friends that were in the world that we would drink and do stuff with. And, and um, you'd think I would have been safe with them, right? No, no. All the time, over and over, more than once, I mean, like at least 10 to 20 times, we, I'd just be feeling really good after drinking, and we'd be having everybody's feeling really good, and somebody would start talking about religion. <laughs> and being raised in the church, I always had to remind them that there's only one God, and you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> And so I'd go all through those scriptures with them and talk to them and everything, explain all that to them, and you know what they'd look at me and say? So why aren't you doing this? <laughs> yep, God talks to a donkey and he talks to my friend. So it's a <laughs> so they're, you know, they're just all those kinds of situations came up when I was away from God, reminded me that he was still searching for, he was still looking for me. And uh, <clears throat> then uh you would think, you know, if, you, if I wasn't reading the Bible at the time, so you would think, you know, I'd be, be away from no problem reading stuff. So I'm, I'm going to Ohio State, and I have a, uh, <clears throat> what was it, European history is what it was. And so I'm reading my college textbook, 
and I read the words, Michael Servetus was burned at the stake because he refused to accept the Trinity because of his belief in only one God. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not expecting that. And yet God reminded me that it's not just in the Bible. But there are people who have died for this salvation that we have, for this knowledge of who Jesus Christ is that we have, for the revelation of who he is. People have died for that before. And so I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> Every time I turn around, something about God comes back up again. And uh, so then uh, next thing, <laughs> I get the brilliant idea of going parachuting. And uh, I, I really wanted to go. And in our campus newspaper, The Lantern, if you had 10 people, it only cost about 50 bucks to go. So I kept asking people, I probably asked 30 people, hey, you want to go parachuting? Every one of them said, you know, you could die doing that. <laughs> and so for the first time in my life, I begin to think there's a chance I could die before I could get back to church. Always before that, I thought, you know, I know enough that whenever I see those signs at the end time, I'll get back in church before it's too late. Oh, the six-day six war really scared me. <laughs> I, was, I was in my teens, and the, you know, they were uh, fighting over there, and they, they finally took Jerusalem back. And uh, all the things that happened during that time, and, and it, it was really, uh, really hard to stay in the world during that time because I knew what was coming. But the main thing was the devil had pulled me into thinking I could, I could live forever. I had a long time. You know, there's no way that I was going to die. So then he gave me a few float, close calls with death. <laughs> I was working in a foundry, and uh, this guy picked up this piece of metal over me, the, basically the underneath of a train car. And he didn't realize it, but the crane had gone all the way over to the wall. So when he picked it up, it swung right towards me. I was between it and the wall. And I felt it move, so I dropped down on my knees, and it went over my back and put a dent in the wall. So as, while I was on my knees, I did say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so a few other situations, some driving situations and different things, close calls. And again, I was reminded, that, you know, you're promised today, not tomorrow. You may not live. There are other people... You know, another time was my next-door neighbor. He died when he was 16. He fell off a cliff at a park. And uh, it was just uh, sad. But again, it hit me. I was 15 at the time, so I'm thinking, wow, I could only live one more year maybe. <laughs> but you keep pushing out of your mind. You keep pushing away. But God doesn't stop. God doesn't stop. He keeps pursuing you. He keeps going after you. And uh, he knows when you're ready. I, the, the, the things had built up so far, and I, I thought, well, you know, I don't know. This, this is, uh, uh, Tiffany was born, and uh, there were just a lot of things that we realized weren't in our control. And uh, so I was thinking more and more about going back to God. And uh, one Sunday night, my parents came out after church and uh, just talked to us. We always, they always update us on what was going on in the church, who was, you know, getting married, who wasn't, who was, you know, whatever was going on, uh, the normal stuff in the church with the people that we knew. And uh, so then Dad said, well, Mom, we better get going. And first of all, it was rare that he would come to our house on a Sunday night after church because he always went home, had a snack, and went to bed. 
because he had to get go to work the next morning. So I knew something was up whenever they came out after church on a Sunday night, but they didn't say anything. They didn't, they didn't push us. All my mom did all those years, my dad didn't even say anything, but my mom, all she did, ever so often, just say, son, you know we love you, and we're proud of everything else you accomplished, but the greatest thing would be to live for God. And that was it. I should get us around Mother's Day to go to church in the Sunday school contest, but other than that, they didn't really pressure us. But they kept showing their love to us. And so uh, when they got ready to go, the Lord spoke to me and said, this could be your last chance. This could be it. They were already halfway out to the car, and I told my wife, go get them. Come back in, and we knelt down and prayed. And I was working full-time and going to school full-time, so we didn't get to go to church until the next Sunday morning. <laughs> and so that's when we went, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and my wife got baptized feel sorry for her. She thought we were both getting baptized. She didn't realize I'd already been baptized, so she was in it alone. <laughs> and she got the Holy Ghost a couple weeks later. Uh, but God didn't stop pursuing me. And God is not going to quit pursuing you, even if you want him to. <laughs> so that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. If you're really looking for peace and happiness, you know, we talk so much about the pursuit of happiness. The only pursuit of happiness that you can end up with is living for God. That's the only way. It's the only way you're going to find the peace that passes understanding. If you pursue Jesus, you'll have happiness. You will have everything that you need. The only true joy that you can have is the joy of the Holy Ghost. And you may think, well, I don't know about this. Well, I'm telling you, you're going to be miserable until you do. There's going to be something missing, and no matter what you do in this world, no matter how drugged out in your mind you get, God can still speak through that. He will still be reaching out to you. The sad thing is, by the time some people come back to God or come to God, they're so messed up that it affects the rest of their life. They're still better off living for God, but sometimes the damage that's done by drugs or alcohol or whatever, there's just some things that can't, you know, can't, aren't necessarily reversed just because you come to God. Because when you come to him, you get the hope of eternity, but you don't necessarily get out of the consequences of the things that you did in sin. And so somebody said, well, I can always repent. Yeah. And you can get right with God, but you can't always get right with your body. And so that's why we have to make sure that we don't get caught up in that, that we remember that God is pursuing after us. Uh, when we experience God's kindness and not giving up on us, we are drawn to faith. We are drawn to faith, and we will want others to believe too. And I remember the last time we went to a Sunday school contest in the spring, probably about a month or two before uh, we, we went, got back in the church, shook hands with the pastors. I went out, and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do if you don't get back in here pretty soon. And then um, <laughs> my one brother was not in the church uh, at the time. And uh, about three or four months later, I was talking to him about, you know, we were teaching a Bible study and, you know, how frustrating it was that they weren't coming in yet. And he said, now you know what I dealt with all these years. <laughs> but he didn't stop pursuing. Didn't stop pursuing. Uh, according to research uh, by the General Social Survey, one out of every 10 Americans say they have no religious affiliation. But an additional two out of 10 can be classified as religious uh, liminals meaning that sometimes claim a religious affiliation and sometimes they do not. 
These statistics mean that at the very least, one out of every three people we meet claim no strong tie to a religious belief, yet many of them may be open to a sincere discussion about faith because they're on the threshold. That's what liminal means, of believing something. They're on the threshold of believing something. We shouldn't give up on people who say they aren't religious. They could be closer to belief than we think. Many times it's easy for us to look at people and say, uh, they, you know, they, they don't want this. They won't last. They won't, they won't really get into this. My wife might get mad at me, but <laughs> she didn't think Sister Gatta was going to make it. <laughs> Again, you know, we go by appearances, and uh, when people come to God, all that changes. All that changes. What was important to us before is not important anymore. And so uh, we, we have to realize that uh, God is still going to pursue us and that we can't look at somebody and say, no, they would never want this. Usually the ones we say they would never want this are the ones who really need it the most. And so uh, the Greek word for uh, repent is benaneo, uh, which means to change one's mind completely according to Strong's Accordance. In other words, to repent doesn't just mean to say we're sorry. To repent means to change direction completely in our thinking and behaving. If you truly accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you must repent and turn away from sin. <laughs> you know, to me, it's like, you know, we know that repentance is whenever we're going this direction and we repent, we go back this direction. But too many people who accept the Lord Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, they're going this way and then they make a little turn here, maybe a little turn here. They don't really turn around. I, I've seen people who say, yeah, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I'm thinking, you're not doing what he accepts. <laughs> you didn't turn completely away. Which makes no sense because the reason we come to Jesus is we realize there's something missing and only he can satisfy our soul. And if we had the answers before, we would have already used them. <laughs> we couldn't make ourselves happy before. And so just accepting him is not going to make us happy either. We have to go beyond that accepting and repent. Completely change our direction. I've told some people, you know, if, if your friends can't tell you you had a conversion experience, you didn't have one. If they can't tell the difference in you, you didn't get enough of Jesus, that's for sure. And so... Uh, the Bible says that true repentance means turning completely around. What about Zacchaeus? What did he do? He used to take money, and now he gives back four times more than he took. That was a turnaround. <laughs> Jesus preached repentance in Luke 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' 12 disciples preached repentance in Mark Chapter 6 and verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you nay, but unless you repent, ye shall all perish. Accepting is not enough. You got to at least go to the next step of repentance to even start to have the problem taken care of. Peter preached it in Acts 2.38. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. Yes, you need to accept. Yes, you need to believe. But you also need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul preached it, Acts 17.30. In the past, God winked at such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, in the Old Testament, there could have been some ignorant people. <laughs> but in the New Testament, it doesn't matter if you're ignorant or not. He's not looking over. He's not overlooking it anymore. He did too much. <laughs> he has too many examples living among you for him to say, well, maybe they don't know. No, he, you know. Especially in America, you know, in a lot of other countries. And today with the Internet, how could you not know? You know, uh, Paul preached it in Acts 17, or, or Paul said in Acts 26, 20, first to those in, in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to uh, the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance by their deeds. You show your repentance by the deeds that you do. If you keep doing the deeds you did before you came to God, before you repented, then you're, you're not changed. You haven't changed. You haven't turned anything around. You're still doing things the same way. And you know what happens if you do the same thing you've always done? You get the same thing you've always got. And that's not very far if, <laughs> if you don't really repent and turn things around. You know, it's also the definition of insanity. Uh, <laughs> We have to do things differently. We don't realize it, but if we come to God and we continue to do things the way we've always done them, then we will still stay in the same place. We really can't expect things to change if we don't change. We have to change. The main thing we have to do is change that direction. And that means turning away from the things that we used to do. And you say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to turn to, what I'm supposed to turn away from. You got a whole book. <laughs> That's why you need to get in the Word. The Word will show you the things that you need to do and the things uh, that you shouldn't do. Very clearly, very specifically. <laughs> I, I just, even though I know reading through the Old Testament can really get boring and really tedious and hard, especially in Job and Isaiah and <sighs> Ezekiel. Oh, my goodness. And then Numbers. I'm so glad, you know, I, I probably read the Bible 30 times. I mean, read it. I'm so thankful now that I can listen to it. <laughs> it's not near as bad <laughs> as it was trying to read through all those. All the begets and all the son of, the son of, the son of. And, and you know, and then you get the Psalms even sometimes. And it, it, they repeat themselves. You know, it mercy endures forever, like 15 times in one chapter. And so those things become repetitive. We... And, you know, talking about all the details of the tabernacle, talking about all the details of the ark and of the holy city, all, all these, all, and the temple, all these details very specifically. You should know from reading all that, all stuff in the Old Testament, God cares about specifics. He's very exact about what he thinks needs to be done. And so people who say, well, it doesn't matter if you're baptized in Jesus' name or not. You know, I had 
one person say, you know, is, it, well, is it a sin to be baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost? I said, no, it's just incomplete. You were baptized under repentance, but now you need to be baptized in the name for the remission of your sins. And so we, we have to do things differently if we have repented. You say, well, I'm having a hard time. That's what baptism in Jesus' name is for. Because you see, when you come to him and you repent, he forgives those sins. But they're not remitted until you're baptized in Jesus' name. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, the slate is wiped clean. Your friends may still remember, you may still remember, the devil probably remembers, but God chooses to forget. And so for the first time in your life, you know what it's like to be without sin. Now, it may only last till you get outside the door, I don't know. But for, for that short time, you know what it's like to be without sin for the first time in your life. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do this. That's why he gives you the Holy Ghost. First, he takes all that weight off of you, and then he gives you something inside. Oh, those poor people in the Old Testament. All that stuff they had to do, and they still, you know, the presence of God was in the middle of the camp, but it didn't feel the same as the Holy Ghost being inside of you. And so we, we have that spirit of God to lead and guide us into all truth. It will help us know what to do and what not to do, and it will give us the power to overcome the things that we shouldn't do. Now, we're not going to be perfect, but you, you do a lot better with the Holy Ghost than you ever do without. <laughs> I, I, just, I just can't believe, I, I couldn't believe when I got the Holy Ghost how much different it was. How when I first came to, the next time I came to church, oh, man, I wasn't sitting there gripping the pew and under conviction and just miserable because I knew what I should be doing. I wasn't doing it. After I got the Holy Ghost, I'm like, hey. This is great. This is why everybody's so happy around here. You know? You got, you got some help here. You got something on the inside now. And so it, it makes a difference. And that's what helps you keep you on the right path. Now, yeah, sometimes you're going to override it and make mistakes. But you can, you can correct those. You can, you can get back on track. But if people in the world knew, if the lost knew how much better life was and how much easier life was when you're living for God, when you have the Holy Ghost, everybody would be in here. And so that's why we have to reach out and continue to tell them and let them know this, this is really what you're looking for. You may not know it, but this is what you're looking for. And, and this is the best life that there is. It's not without problems. You're still going to go through some struggles, some different things, you know. You're not going to be totally exempt from the things that happen in life. My wife found out last week. Tried to start the car and it wouldn't start. Dead battery. Always happens when she's driving. <laughs> but, you know, am I not a Christian because of my battery? I had to get a new battery? No. That kind of stuff happens to everybody. I just think sometimes it happens to me a lot less because of living for him. <laughs> and so, uh, again, she could have, that could have happened while she was up in Louisville, but it didn't happen right here at Walmart. So, uh, we sometimes think that everything's going to be perfect, but it's not, but Oh, my goodness. Your worst day in the church is better than your best day in the world. <laughs> yeah. All right, finish up here in your response time this week. Invite believers to pray for anyone whom they might have given up on to come to faith. And give a clear invitation for anyone to come to the Lord by faith for the first time. Encouraging them 
that God has diligently and carefully been drawing them for such a time as this. When you finally get in the church, you will be able to look back as I did tonight and see where God was drawing you. See where God was still pursuing you to draw you into the church. And so you need to share that with others. And when they get saved, they'll, they'll look back and say, oh, that's why that happened. That's why that happened. Uh, you know, we can, we can think of some great celebrations of joy from different sports games. And I'm sure whoever wins the World Series, that team's going to be really happy. And they may run out on the field and they may turn over cars and burn them. I don't know. They just do all kinds of crazy things to show how happy they are. And, you know, if they were in Lexington, they'd be burning couches. They have no idea how that <laughs> They can't afford the car, so they just go through the couch. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, all you UK fans. <laughs> uh, but it's just, you know, they're, they're, the way that we see when people are really happy and they really are celebrating. Uh, most whatever the greatest, you know, thing like that that you can think of. You know, for us it's always when Ohio State beats Michigan, we're, we're really happy, really happy. And we celebrate. <laughs> but you know what? That, that's how we feel about something as natural, simple as that. How much more when somebody turns to God and the angels are rejoicing. They are, they are, they are so happy for you. And one of these days you'll meet him if you stay faithful and true to him. So, you know, how do we celebrate the birth of a child? Still nothing in comparison to turning to God and, and seeing someone come to full salvation. You know, it, it's one of my favorite things <laughs> is doing a home Bible study and see the light bulb go off in somebody's mind. Whether it's baptism in Jesus' name or uh, several of us remember <laughs> Big Mike's revelation. He said, you mean if I ain't baptized in Jesus' name, my ticket's not punched? <laughs> I said, no, Big Mike, it's not. Well, then I need to get baptized in Jesus' name. I said, that's right. <laughs> he said, well, I'll, I'll do that Sunday morning. I said, okay. I said, now just remember, between now and then, the devil's going to try to fight you on this. And he'll testify. He, he went through something for the next few days. But it, it's just seeing that and knowing that. I mean, that's, that's what rejoicing is all about. And the Bible plainly tells us that, that it brings joy to God whenever we come to him. And so... Uh, God himself rejoices and celebrates with a sinner changes their life. Because he knows it's not just for this life. It can be for eternity. So we need to reach out to others and share with them this, this great treasure that we have so that they will be able to rejoice with this. And so we can make them, angels have a lot more parties in heaven. Amen. Let's stand. And... Uh, Thankful for what the Lord is doing. Thankful for what the Lord is doing here. I would ask you to pray for our recent guests that have been here the last month or two that uh, some of them are coming back. Keep praying for them. Uh, also pray for those who have come once or twice that they would come back. The Lord continue to pursue them. And uh, you may just want to pray that every day. God, pursue the people that are hungry in our community. God, pursue the people that have come to our church and have visited. Because we, we don't know where they're at in that process of coming to him. But we know God is still pursuing them. And so we are the body of Christ. So we need to pursue them. We need to continue to reach out to them. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for each one that is here tonight and what you've done in their lives, oh God. We are so thankful, Lord, for uh, this knowledge of uh, the death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We're so thankful, God, that we have this opportunity, oh God, Lord, to be partakers of this, Lord. And now we understand, God, it's our duty to reach out to others, oh God, and share this with them, share this good news with them, oh God, Lord, that they can have this same uh, salvation that we have today oh god we're so thankful god lord it's a great salvation and we can never thank you enough for it lord we just ask you to bless each one uh lord bless pastor and such kathy as they're uh away tonight oh god lord we ask lord that you would uh, be with us in our services this sunday lord that your will would be accomplished that there would be those who would come and repent be baptized and filled with the holy ghost lord in jesus name we pray amen amen lord bless you Prayer on Saturday at 6.30 or 7. <laughs> We've had it at 7. Last time we had it at 6.30, so I'm not sure. 6.30. Plan on 6.30, and you, you can leave at 7.30 if we didn't start till 7. 7. <laughs>